Shimai, welcome back to the H-Hour podcast. Sponsoring the podcast today are the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group provide advanced systems for the protection and management of territories, borders, assets, and people for a global customer base. The Aardvark solution incorporates risk management, satellite and UAV imagery for situational awareness, safe systems for the identification and destruction of landmines, and the remnants of war, and standoff explosive detection technologies. Aardvark operate in humanitarian, critical defence, security and commercial sectors in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Europe and the Americas, and is widely regarded as the most effective landmine clearance system in the world. Their expertise is in the creation and implementation of safe systems for the investigation, decontamination and handover of land impacted by the remnants of war. Since their acquisition in August 2017, Aardvark have been looking to develop and expand the company's offerings with systems and solutions that complement the company's highly regarded status. One such enhancement is the addition of advanced drone surveillance technologies providing the company with market-leading situational awareness for mine clearing, counter-terrorism, border security and asset protection operations. To find out more about Aardvark, you should go to aardvark.group and when you go to the website, you can check out their shop as well. There's a discount code for their shop, and it's H-H-O-U-R. Enter it at checkout. Their shop, stocks, different bits of on-the-man, on-the-woman kit and equipment, things like trauma packs, med kits, and you can get a discount on those by entering our discount code, H-H-O-U-R. Once again, website is Group, and you can find them all over social media. Just search for the Aardvark Group. Thank you. Also sponsoring the podcast today, are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation founded in 2009 in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whittaker, who was sadly killed on operations served with the Parachute Regiment in 2008. Since Rugby for Heroes are formed, they have raised almost £120,000 for military charities, and they do so by organising fundraising events orchestrated around rugby predominantly. And over the last couple of years, they've added in more events, more types of events to their portfolio, such as supper clubs and beer and gin festivals. They recently held a, a fantastic event at Old Lemontonians RFC in Warwickshire, and they raised £5,000 in that event. Brilliant event. One of the first big events uh, uh, coming out of the, of the lockdown, and it was a huge success, so well done to Rugby Heroes. And uh, thank you for all the support that you guys uh, give to the military community. Not Obviously not just uh, sponsoring this podcast, but all the support and help you've provided individuals, including myself at the time, and uh, many of my colleagues and friends. You do an incredible job. So you should go and check out Rugby for Heroes at rugbyforheroes.org. And you should also follow them on social media. They're at Rugby for Heroes on social media. That's Rugby number four heroes on social media. They've got more events in the pipeline and do a huge amount to uh, support the community outside of just organising events. So you should definitely give them a follow, check them out. And I'll see you at their next event. The date isn't set yet, but it's going to be a good one. And you should uh, you should keep a tab. I'll see you there. I've been to every event since I found... I've been to every Rugby Heroes event since I found out about the organisation. And I intend to go to every single one in the future too. Fingers crossed. They're incredible. It's great to be a part of. Thank you, Mike, and everyone at Rugby for Heroes for sponsoring the podcast. Finally, sponsoring the podcast today are the Development Society. The Development Society is a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday. They're more than just a clothing company. They truly are a community of like-minded people looking to improve. From merchandise in the shop, where you can't just buy it, you have to earn it and prove to DevSoc that you've earned it. 
to weekly Zoom yoga sessions and other stuff in their repertoire of information and initiatives that you do to help people become the best kind of people they can be. And the Development Society, the best kind of people you can find. They're hard workers. The community is open to all who want to improve. If you want to get involved, the best way to do it and get involved with the, the different things they do and stay up to date what they do and how they can help you, uh, you should join their infamous Daily Waves newsletter, um, which you can do so on the website, and also join their Slack community too. They've got a really active Slack community. So to, to join both of those, you need to go and check out the website, which is thedevelopmentsociety.co.uk, and you'll get information there. And you just got to chuck your email address in. It's not spam. It's useful stuff you'll get into your, into your inbox. Um, they're also active on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for The Development Society, at The Development Society. You'll recognize their logo. It's a big pink flamingo. Um, but to get more of an understanding, more of an understanding of their philosophies and everything else, you should definitely go to the website. Just say that again, it's the, the development society.co.uk. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast, DevSock. And in, uh, in DevSock's own words, stay wavy. So yeah, onto the podcast. My guest today is Simon Town. Simon is a former Royal Marines commando, sniper, and the, is the founder of Quickdraw Card Company. This is the HR Podcast. My name is Hugh Kier, and my guest today is Simon Town. Enjoy. You're on, Simon. Oh, you nearly said it again. Don't do it again. I nearly said it again. We're past that. You should know okay. now. Okay. For people, yeah, I, yeah, for people not wondering, I did an exclusive patron interview with uh, Simon Town. And I did Thank not you. refer to him as Simon Town. It was someone else's nickname. I don't know why. No, it's someone else's surname. Anyway, Simon Town, Quickjaw Card Company. Welcome to the HR Studio. Thank you so much. Pleasure hey. to be here. Mega to have you here. I mate. never thought I was going to be here. I followed you for a while. And uh, I always see these glamorous guests come on. And I thought, nah, you ain't going to have me on there. Never. Never look. <laughs> Standards have dropped well, you. We've been look talking about it for a while, haven't we? What's that? Um, yes. Yeah, hey, we have. Yeah. I think because we, we, you wanted to put it off at one point. Because there was some stuff in the pipeline, mm, which you, I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, yeah, but tell I me can't. What, yeah, I, I mean, but, we can talk about it, but I can't drop names because NDAs and all sorts. Well, I don't want to get into trouble. But never mind that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't worry about. It. Tell me about the Stephen Hawking documentary you mentioned just now. Um, okay, so the time was 2015, and uh, <laughs> I uh, so after I left the military, I started. Uh, I sort of dabbled around. Uh, inside the job that I was working, doing some extra work. And I know there's going to be 95% of guys out there who uh, who used to be in the military have probably dabbled in it every now and again. There's only one or two companies that do it. So um, luckily, I was doing CP in London at the time, and one of my uh, good friends that I worked with, he um, he actually knew the owner of the, the company that was running, that ran the extras sort of stuff. Do you want, and, to, mention, um, do you want to mention the company? Uh, yeah, Military Film Services. Um, did they, did they but I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen anything from them for a while, so I don't know. But well, did they not become services to film? I don't know. Like, I, I, I haven't worked or done anything with them since this. So I this is like five became, years ago. I think they became services to film. Was a guy called Dickie Tran running it? No. Um, uh, I might, must I be wrong then. I can't think. Wrong. Sorry, like I said, there's only a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's only a couple of them, so um, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. Anyway, so I got um, we got the email come through. Every now and again, you get an email come through, and it goes. Job on, pay this, 
set rate, you, this is what you need to do. But one of them came out and it was um, Sniper needed for a documentary. And I was like, ah, oh, this is probably the first time that anything's come up where I'm like, okay, I, this is this is, sounds all right. And there's not going to be that many people. Anyway, I was actually sat next to my friend Dave on shift when it came through. And he's like, have you just seen that email come through? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you want me to, do you want me to message him to use you? And I'm like, yeah. And uh, so he messaged him two days later. Uh, Andy Buckley, that's his name. Um, he got um, so I had a chat with Andy, and he was he wanted a CV of what I've done um, within the Marines and shooting and this that, and the other, and he wanted a picture as well. So he's like, you know, it's going to be on TV, and he don't want you looking like a you know bag of shit or anything. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, so I got that sent over to him. And he's like, yeah, cool. The only problem is I didn't have a rifle, so I met I I actually spoke to one of the armorers who was going to come with me on the shoot. So it was, at, it was at Diggle Range in Wigan. How come they weren't supplying it for you, the production company? Well, no. So they they could, but it was a rifle that I'd never used before. Oh. It was, um, I can't even remember what it was. It was a 7.62 rifle. Um, and because the armourers, they only have, they don't really have that big variety of bolt action rifles. So I, <laughs> a couple of years before when I was on a sniper training team, me and the team went down to Accuracy International Factory in Portsmouth. And we actually got to have a look around. Um, you know, made some friends, those guys down there who was the reps, and uh, I rung them, and I was like, hey, it's Cy here, I used to be on the Royal Marine Sniper training team, how's it going, this, that, and the other. Anyway, um, any chance I could borrow one of your 338s? And they're like, why? I'm like, because um, I'm, I'm going to do some filming on a Stephen Hawkins documentary, and uh, they were like, yes, what do you want? When do you want it? And I was like, um, just just do me a normal standard, as we used to use, L113A5, you know, Smith Metascope, all the full works. And they're like, cool, where do you want it? Um, and they, they delivered it to the armorer who was working for the production company and uh, drops off some ammunition. They're like, cool, yeah, just take it, just bring it back whenever you're finished. Was that Frank? Who got Frank that? Fletcher, yeah, 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 it was Frank, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, Frank, Frank delivered a rifle. Um, and then we went up there and we were, so the whole idea for the thing was, have you ever heard of a company called Tracking Point, which is um, an American company and they basically made these scopes that had jet fighter tracking technology in them. So it works out, so you push this little red button on your target and it works out the bullet drop and everything like that and then all you have to account for is wind. So if your wind calls fine, you should technically hit every single time. But they wanted to do it where they put it to the test and it, it's, it is, it's really Chad. Um, they were like, it's sniper versus science. So they wanted me to work everything out myself <coughs> And then they wanted the tracking point rifle and we was going to have a shoot-off to see who would be better. Like, is it is it really bad that you can buy a rifle like this if you can sh if you don't need any experience to? So they wanted to sort of put that to the test. But from a, from a I mean, it was all right, but from a production point of view, I said to them, so this is a new rifle. I've never shot it before. I've got no data for it. And I was like, just at least get me on 100. Just at least get me a zero. That's all I want. And they're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. And then the next thing, the guy's like, right, we're going to move back to 500 meters. I'm like, okay. So the only data I had was from shooting at Barry Budden five years before, <laughs> which I had in my loft still. So I had my data card there, and I was like, I'm just going to have to massively cuff this. Um, so we went back there, and then I had to do this piece where I had to, uh, the guy's name, Jim, his was, he's, um, he's, he's done a few, like, I had no idea who he was until I met him. And he's done loads of scientific documentaries, like Brian Cox's Bezzy Oppo, basically. Um, so I had to do a bit where I had to teach him how to shoot. Um, but when I was teaching him how to shoot and he was shooting, I was 
secretly gathering data because I knew we was going to go back further and it was all going to get filmed. So I didn't want to look like a complete tit. Um, so he'd done that. We shot there. I'm making notes. And then at the end, he's like, okay, we're going to do a shoot off. Um, so Jim's going to be shooting a tracking point. You're going to be shooting your rifle at a thousand meters. And we're going to have balloons at the butts. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And, uh, me and Jason, who was the CEO of Tracking Point, American guy, he was there as well on a day, and we both looked at each other and we're like, "Okay, let's let's try it." I can't guarantee it's going to be anything good because I got, like I said, I got nothing. I haven't even got a zero, so let's do it. So we went back to a thousand meters, we filmed it, and um, I got really lucky. I'm not going to lie to you, um, I got really really lucky, and we had six balloons. I shot five out of the six with twelve rounds. And then he only shot three out of the six, I think. So, you know, on paper, I beat him. And it proved that a trained sniper is more effective than the technology that comes with it. All these fancy this, that, and the other. Uh, but it was good. You know, it was really good. If you had been up to... If you had, had like, a sight back and all that, it would have been a whitewash. It would have been fucking... You know, if you had the advantage of having the sight well, back and all the data, it would have been, like, fucking... Yeah. Probably six... Well... Six rounds. I'd, six I'd like to think His balloons aren't a small target. It's a head. Really. It's a headshot. It's a grand. Cool. It's headshot. A grand. But uh, so, um, yeah. but it was good. It was really good. That rifle is a bit of kit. It's insane. It's so good. Like the picture, and you got an iPad. So what they wanted what, to the do? The tracking point rifle. Yeah, the tracking point rifle. It's got this. It's got built-in Wi-Fi that you get an iPad with. <laughs> and what they wanted to use it, and I can understand what they're doing. They wanted to try and get them out to the U, the US SF lads, and. Um, their, their idea from a sniper perspective was to give um, a sniper pair, like, imagine four sniper pairs, a rifle each, and then a, the, the commander sits at the back with the iPad, and he's got all four scopes on his iPad, and he can conduct a coordinated shoot from his iPad onto the lads shooting down, which makes sense. I think it's, that's a really fancy, but, you know, when you're out on ops, you know, you've got batteries and this, that, and the other, and does it, would it work? I don't know. But um, the idea was that I think they're still good. They brought out AR variants with the scopes and all this that and the other but um yeah on that day it was really cool it was a good little gig really yeah um no it's fun early early stuff when i went to um about the site park i don't people don't really understand that this people aren't trained no even just in shooting, not new snipers, but yep. like you fucking busily people unless you're one of those don't yeah. understand the value of the site park i remember we were at kandahar right and the second time i went out to afghan and we got there one month with one month fives. Oh, we had L- L- yeah, yeah. as well. Okay. And um, we got put down on the range. Is have you been to Kandahar? Um, only passing through. Right. So the range is there. Well, we got there. Got put, sent down there to go and get prepped for going out on, on the ops. Because we've gone out and doing um, uh, grabbing high, mm-hmm. high, high valley targets throughout mm-hmm. that tour. So in and out, in and out, in and out. Yeah. Do you know what range Kandahar's got? With thousands of thousands uh, of US military, mate. Thousands of US military. I don't know. Twenty-five meter range. Brilliant. And, he want, <laughs> and they expected the sniper yeah. platoon to go down there. Yeah. Do a twenty-five meter range, which you can't even fucking zero no. a one-one-five. No, you can't. You can't it's impossible. You can't do anything. No. Um, and then go out and start dropping people first round. Yeah. Like, no, it's, not, it's never going to happen. It's not going to work like no, that. No, of course not. It's not going to work like that. No. We're going to need to get on the ground and then do an, and then do some form of sight back if we can uh, some, somehow, yeah. if not even a sight back, 100 metres, just let a zero 100 metres. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. I mean, right? it's, it's probably a bit naughty, but um, we was in a very si- similar situation in Afghan in 2010 where we didn't really have that time, but we was, um, we was in an over OP for three and a half months and... Um, 
you know, every morning at 5.30 when those speakers blaring out that music and waking us up, it, you know, it does grind you down a bit. So we did a bit of data collection on the speakers um, <laughs> uh, just to check just to check that the zero was in. And, uh, you know, it, it, it worked. Um, it's, it's a bit naughty, but Jesus Christ, once you're doing, you know, six on nine off for three and a half months on Century Duty, that shit wears you down very quickly. Um. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, was well, that you did? Six on nine off for three months? Yeah. Yeah, oh God. and it, summer. So even when you do the, the graveyard shift and you get off at 6 a.m. or whatever it was, trying to get your head down and it's 45 degrees, no air con, no fresh rations. Um, we was on 10-man rats for, you know, two months. Um, it was pretty pretty grim, to be fair. Fun, loved it, but it was hard work, really hard yeah, work. I think the closest thing I did to that was one on one on four off for three weeks it was only for three weeks yeah so yeah one on four off but well, is it, there was only five of us where we were Same yeah yeah so we was in we was in slap bang middle of um sangin in a in an old taliban commander's house <laughs> called tea house that's what it was called the 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 pb and uh, there was only five of us there um we had a a troop of a a downstairs um so you know it got it got really loud but it was like um the whole thing had been bombed the jdam hit it the year before so there was like nothing left of it so we <coughs> the the rifles who we took over from who were there before made like an improvised sort of tower and um yeah we 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 sort of made the best of what we had but it was horrible and then you know tensions and it was at that time there when was we quite a lot of uh, green on blues there at that time isn't there terrible yeah that's what i was just about to say the amp had opened up just up the road on a load of guys and um tensions were very very high and especially when there's five of us and there's a whole team of a a downstairs and like the terp that was in charge of them hated our guts as well and we was like oh no we don't need wasn't this. that the year that the welsh guard ceo got brassed up i think it was that yeah. was that year wasn't it? yeah a bunch of them and he was one of them yeah. yeah um yeah it turned everything in the ao not even us everywhere all over it, it that turned really quickly and it was bad for a good couple of months until we had to sort of play their game you know, be nicey-nicey and try to sort of, you know, because it was all back in those days, courageous restraint, hearts and minds. That was the aim of the game. Not even with just people that lived in Afghan where you used to go out and patrol. It was trying to keep them not happy as well because, you know, no one knows what was going to happen. They could turn it. We would have been, we wouldn't, there's no way we would have survived that if they'd turned on us. No chance. Um, so we was just trying to play the game, be nicey-nicey and hope we all don't get killed, basically. <laughs> How does it make you feel with us pulling out there now? Or everyone pulling out of Afghan now? I mean, I watched a video on Facebook probably two and a half, three years ago of Sangin Bazaar. And the whole thing was at rubble. The whole place, the whole one kilometer stretch of the bazaar was in rubble. Um, nothing left there. No standing structures. And we went up and down that bazaar, thriving. Motorbike shops, butchers, fish, Clothing. When you were there. When we were there, everything. It was good. Good vibes, you know? There was nothing naughty going on that we knew. Everyone was seemed happy. And then I watched this video. We pulled out and left it to the Americans. So the USMC took over from us when we ripped out on Herrick 12. And, uh, like, literally two years. So maybe a few years after that, um, I watched the video and the whole place was just rubble. And it makes you think. It's like, what was the point? You know? What, what you know... Obviously, it's gone back into the Taliban ha Taliban's hands. Everything's been bombed and blown up. Everyone's moved out and gone. And it was like, okay, so what? I, d I don't quite understand what we achieved, really, by being there. Do you? 
What did we achieve? Is this deep? Do we not? Do we not? Do we not? <laughs> I need asked to go the questions around you. I know, <laughs> but you gave me that look as if to say, "Oh, but I want your, I want your perspective, uh, on mate." It. Well, there's two. Like I go, I go through things. Two different looks at it in my head. One is, I want to validate my time there. Yeah. And the people who didn't come back, their time there. Yeah. But also, I want to look at it objectively. Which can be dangerous if you're trying to it does. achieve validation. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. Um, I did a interview for BBC Wales last week, and they're doing a documentary on Welsh, Welsh, um, Welsh guys who served in Afghan. Uh, and I didn't enjoy it. No. Didn't enjoy it. One because I don't like being your side of the mic where you are now. Yeah. I prefer it to be in control, but yeah, it's. I'm asking difficult questions. I'm a bit worried about how that one's going to go actually, because I got a feeling that the narrative is going to be. We shouldn't have bothered going, and then I'm part of that documentary. Then, which I'd not, I haven't necessarily. No, 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 no. I get it. Yeah, I made a mistake. Actually, I signed, I, I, I signed the, I signed the, um, oh god, the paperwork, given them authorization to use all the footage. I signed it there and then. In hindsight, I should have, if you can, I should have waited to say I want to see this finished product. Yeah, and then I'll let you know if you can yeah. use it or not. But I don't think you'll let you get away with that. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. That yeah. It's a very tricky subject. Even when you bring it up with anyone, even lads, they're all like, oh, you know, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to get deep into. Well, there's the question. Is it better off than now than what it was before? And there's a fucking easy answer to that, I yeah. think. Is it is it obviously better off than what it was before? And I think, I think the answer to that is no. Yeah. But then... You know, you were talking about when we did the Patreon interview, bigger picture. Yeah. We're talking. In reality, we're looking at operational level, campaign level. That is still pretty low down yeah. on the bigger picture strategy, mm -hmm. long-term strategy of the country's yeah. flipping hemispheres yeah. <laughs> go for. You know, so what did it achieve in the long run? Don't know. Would as was as being there part of a bigger political, um, a military Oh, what's the word? Um, uh, posturing to do with China, Russia at the time. That you just, you know. Don't know. But, you know, as I always say, that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> way above my pay grade. Um, you know, I uh, I got told, I just got paid to do what I'm told. And um, that's it. So, you know, I don't want to get too political on that one because I don't want to say anything. That no. no, it's all right, mate. It's all right. <laughs> um, talking about the... Uh, one Marine Sniper course. Is that the same one that's run at... Is it the same as the one that run at HDPRCC? Nine weeks? No. Oh, we, we, are, we are self... So I believe now, from my knowledge, that there's three... I mean, is it, the same, is it the same structure, I mean? Mm, sort of. I know the chief instructor of it is a bootneck. Yeah. Because well, yeah. Um, we, we have our own course at Limpston, which used to be nine weeks, but it's been increased to 14 now. Okay. Um, and I believe paras and guards do their own one at Purbright. Yeah, but it's headed by a bootneck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, it has. Uh, there was a one point where it wasn't headed by a bootneck. I yeah. remember. But I'm. I'm anyway. pretty. I'm pretty sure it is. And then you've got the Brecon course, which is all the other regiments, army regiments. They go down there and do a bit of a. There is that though. There is that. But I think. Do you do you know why that got brought back in? If that is still the case, that is there. Do you know why that got brought? Because it didn't used to be. It used to be HDPRCC would run their courses for Hazard Division Parachute Regiment. Yeah. Right? You guys had your course in Limston. Yeah. And then other units 
could run their own courses. It's bite. Mate. It's mate. Some of the stories I heard. Yeah. There was, there was one, it was, because they had, the, what is it? This, oh, I don't want to name any regiments, but there was a, <laughs> I remember there was one unit, and this is, this is like the, the final, the straw that brought the camels back in, right, we are in central, everyone has to do a centralized course now. Right. You can't just do your own yep. in-house yeah, courses yeah, yeah, yeah. anymore, because you're fucking bluffing. Yeah. There was a, there was a platoon, uh, a slight platoon commander, Officer, maybe the senior NCO, I don't know. And he got, they were going on, they were going out to Belize, not Belize, they were going out somewhere jungle training. Yeah. And the CO turned around to him and told the, told him that he wanted to double the size of the platoon um, by the time he came back from jungle training, uh, ready for Afghan or something like that. Um, no ammunition. So he got given no ammunition. There was no, there was, there was basically nothing. They went, so he, had, he and he didn't want to do it. And he ended up going to Belize, and basically, if he didn't do this, he was gonna get fucking wasn't look very good for him. Okay. So he came back from came back from Belize or wherever it was with like a, a sniper platoon that had doubled in size. None of them could shoot. Brilliant. And he was like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> what? <I don't. laughs> That's stopping." Because Brecken just used to be the sniper session commander's course. That's all he used to go from. There, okay, and there might have been some sniper courses there, but I don't know. But it was way ages ago. Yeah, I mean, it was always referred to as all the mess tin regiments sniper course that used to go there and and do their, you know. Uh, I I just know that the 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 percentage wise pass mark was a hell of a lot lower. They may have tried to simulate the shoots and this that and the other, but I just know the pass mark was way way lower than ours, yours, anything like that. It was just, yeah, I don't really see the point of it, but I suppose they have to. Given, but then given that title when you've got lads walking around saying, oh, sniper this, sniper that, and it's like, well, you know, you can shoot, but are you that good? Are you though? I don't know. Either way. Um, in, well, saying that, me and um, I, I went on and done, I entered the Tri-Service Sniper Championships at Bisley in 2012, and it was it was quite weird in the sense that when I was on the team in Puzzle Palace, we got our sniper office upstairs in Puzzle Palace, and downstairs we've got the combat marksmanship team. And they actually passed a bit of paper through our door and was like, so the army is holding this sniper competition. Does anyone want to enter it? And the, the lads looked at it, and I was, I was the Marine on the team. Everyone else had proper jobs, in, and Chris, who was my chief instructor. Yeah, <laughs> I was just the jack of all, you know, do what I'm told. And uh, they were like, so do you want to go and do it? But you need to find a, a a second. You need to find a number two. And I was like, okay. So I asked any of the lads, does anyone want to do it? Nah, we're too busy. We're too busy. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so I, I rung my mate Mikey Horrocks, who was who was on my course. Oh, I know that name. Hot dog. Mikey the hot dog Horrocks is such a legend of a bloke. Uh, we was on the same course together. And I was like, Mikey, what are you doing in a couple of weeks' time? Do you want to do you want to come and shoot a competition with me? He's like, yeah, I'll come and do it. And he used to work in MT. So he's like, don't worry, I'll get us a vehicle. Uh, I'll get us a wagon. Um, good. Got, you know, got two, went into the armory and got two of the best rifles that we could find in the armory that we had. New barrels, hardly been shot through, this, that, and the other. Um, we'd done two weeks shooting up at Barry Budden, me and Mikey, just, just drilling. That's all we were doing, just drilling and drilling. And we, unknown to us, we turned up at Bisley, me and Mikey, um, as a bit of a cuff. We didn't really know what to expect. But we d there was 32, so there was, no, there was 18 other teams there, sniper pairs, from all regiments of the British Army and the RAF Reg as well. And uh, we didn't know that every one of those had to have an in-house competition to get to Bisley. So they had an in-house sniper 
competition between themselves. So Welsh this and this, that and the other, they, they'd shot in-house and then the top two in-house got to shoot a Bisley representing their regiment, which was a bit weird. So you had master snipers, like colour stripies there and this, that and the other, like some people that have been doing it for a long time. And me and Mikey rock out and we're like, Fuck. like we've only we've done two weeks on the range, a bit of buckshee shooting, um, and then these Raff Reg lads were the same. But then it was like it was titled as an army shooting competition, and we're like, well, why the hell are we here? And why is the Raff Reg here? Oh well, you know, we thought we'd give it. But if you do win, you can't win any trophies. <laughs> That's Jen what they said. So they're like, they said you can enter and you can win but you're not eligible to win any trophies. So this is the God's honest truth of what happened. Me and Mikey went there, so it split into two days. First day was short, second day was long. Starting at 300 metres and then finishing at 1,000. Is it only shooting? It wasn't only shooting, day. okay. Now, how hard is it to shoot? Like, it's a bit of a noise, isn't it, to shoot in a ghillie suit? Like, if it's windy and you've got shit flying around. So all these lads were wearing ghillie suit. I'm like, lads, this is a marksmanship competition. Some bloke had his rifle fully wrapped in hessian, and I'm like, and it was pissing down as well, which made that even heavier. <laughs> so we're sat there. And we're like, okay, this is a sh this is a shooting competition. So me and Mike are clean fatigue, no webbing, nothing. We want to be as comfortable as we can, uh, and we shoot, we shoot a short range, really good. After the first day, me and Mikey were top as a pair, and Mikey was top on the individuals. Um, so going into day two, um, we shot long, and um, all really good, but you didn't really know. Because people down the butts, they didn't really want to tell you. You never got, a, you know, butts go down, come back up with a red marker. None uh, of that. Uh. They stayed up. You shot, and it was within your number two to find out where your shot was, drops this, that, and the other. So, which was all right. I kind of enjoyed that because you didn't really know what was going to happen. So it wasn't until the end of the competition, we're all sat in the artist bar in uh, Bisley, you know, like the Hereford bar that they got there. And we're sat there, and there's all these trophies, two big, massive trophies, shields the whole shebang on this table. Every every sniper's sat in this room. There's 35 of us or so. And they're like, okay, so um, <laughs> the award for um, best short range, uh, Marine Horrocks, Royal Marines. We was like, yeah, perfect. Everyone gives a clap. Everyone clap. So best short um, best short pair, um, Royal Marines. So me and Mikey stand back up again in front of all the army lads. <laughs> Claps start getting a little bit longer. Um, going into day two. Um, best long range was Marine Town. Every half the claps had stopped. Um, and then best team at uh, long range, Royal Marines. And then I, unbeknown to me, won the entire competition. So I stood up and I got a pair of Leopold binos, right? Second place was the Raff Reg lad. So then me, Mikey, and the two Raff Reg lads left after taking all of their prizes and went and got on it at a bar, they shut the door and then they held their official presentation oh, for the best army sniper who actually came third and wasn't the best in that instant. And they got given trophies, all this shields and stuff like that. And we're just like, why are we here? What what was the point in that? Because if anything, we've just caused the noise by coming here and just, you yeah. know. They're click I never went to one of those shoot. They're, they're clicky things. And they are. It, it, and in all, in all... I think you'd be careful what I say here. It's, it's not open to everyone. No. I don't know why we got an invite. Uh, it's fucking mad. Yeah. It's mad. But the sniper world's fucking clicky, mate. It is. Jesus I didn't Christ. Really, yeah. And the, and the variation between, between te well, you know, obviously, the variation between teams and fucking units' abilities, it varies year by year. Yeah. 
fucking tour by tour, yeah. team by team, individual by individual, yeah. and found that when I was serving and doing it, the which doesn't ring true f- for you guys, it's different for you guys, but the ones that were least willing to go and compete with other people and challenge themselves with other people yeah. were, the, were the worst, were the worst, were the worst. They just, you need to... Um, you, you need to expose yourself to other people and other abilities yeah. to understand what you say. Of course it, you do. It's like, it's the old competition is, is good, right? Yeah. But simple fact, I, I never went on any of that. We did, with the big stuff, it was fucking time. Yeah. It's time. Time to prepare and time to go on it. Yeah. It's just, and you just didn't get allowed to go and do stuff like that. No. But we we did do some symposiums and stuff, to, um, but we, we'd find that no one else would turn up. So right. we did, the last one I did, it was... Supposed to be six different units rock up, and it was, uh, it, was um, HDP, it was household division. Yeah. Uh, so two power put a team in, three power put a team in. There's only four or five other units turn up. Yeah. Didn't fucking bother. Didn't bother. Yeah. I didn't like, get it. No. I, I enjoyed myself. Good, oh, it was fun. Good. Good, good fun. It was really good and that, fun. Those, that symposium, that last one I did, that was everything. It was like stalking. Yeah. It was everything. It was yeah. Fucking quality. No. Fucking hard I, mind. Yeah. Um, the shoots were hard. They were really hard shoots, and because you never got any feedback, it was, it was always hard. It's always easy to lay on the range, and you'd get it, you get it back. But there, being in like a competition environment and not getting any feedback, and just having to trust what you and whoever you're with are doing is right, um, it pays off much more when you get the results back. You're like, okay, what we're actually doing was actually pretty good. But we kept ourselves to ourselves. We, like I said, it was a bit weird. The whole competition was a little bit strange, and we sort of just kept ourselves to ourselves. Went there. Got our watches, got our binos, and then got on it. Can you imagine being the winner of that best shot trophy, knowing you came third? Can you imagine that? That's exactly Can what I thought. That? As soon as I walked out the door I and I saw the paperwork and it saw Royal Marines, Raff Edge, um, I was like, <laughs> I didn't even see who came third. So that guy who came third has got to pick a trophy up when he didn't actually win. And he's like, if you didn't want us to win, why invite us? And why invite the Raff Edge there as well? Pointless. Odd. But either way, it was good. It was good fun. It got written on my roars at the end when I left the Marines that I apparently I entered an international sniper championship <laughs> and I won it. So I was like, I'll keep, I'll take that. Don't worry about that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to change. It. You know, yeah. it's good. Uh, it was good fun. It was yeah. good. When, um, when did you get out? So I left at the end of 2012. I jumped on the, uh, I jumped on the uh, security bandwagon. You know, I was the sheep. You know. So I'm, was I. I did that too. Yeah. 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 I done I done the maritime for six seven months, East and West Africa, and then uh, yeah yeah. That sarcastic boast, then was it? Yeah, it was a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only because I think we were genuinely one of the first companies that I worked for. I don't even think they're still around now. Um, that worked out on West Africa off the coast of Togo doing ship to ship stuff. It was ga- it was two man unarmed stuff, bit moody, pretty gash. I'd literally done two jobs and that was it. I was like, nah, I ain't doing that no more. After I got stopped in Togo Airport with my winning binos that I'd won in the competition <laughs> um, because I was trying to help the guy out write up some sort of man- uh, marksmanship manual for the lads. Um, got stopped at Togo Airport on my own and um, got called into the back room and interrogated by about seven French officials. Maybe signed loads of paperwork that was all written in French and obviously I don't know any French. Uh, I was in there about an hour, and they took my binos. They wanted my. They thought I was some sort of government spy, and I brought my binoculars out here because they had a they had a milled up ret- reticule in the in the lens. They're really Gucci, and um, they thought I was using it to plan something. I'm like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. But I could see what they wanted. They just wanted the binos. They were nice and new and shiny. I was like, take take them, 
just let me go. Just take them, sign the paperwork, and just let me go. Never went back. That was my last ever maritime security job ever. Because as we know, you know, the the higher up aren't going to, you know, try and reimburse you or help you out in any way with that. So it all got denied, and I was like, nah, I'm done. I'm done. What were you? What are you going to do? What were you going to do then? What was it like realizing that uh, that wasn't the career you're going to go and spend all your years and make loads of money in? Because that's what a lot of people think when they. Well, they still do it now. It amazes me that guys are still doing it. Because, but because they don't. When you're in, you don't really know any better. And when and when it's very rare, I think for. (coughs) I think especially early on when you leave, I think it's very rare for someone who gets out. They go on the circuit. To, to give an honest representation of what that job is really like that someone who's in is asking. Yeah. Because they don't want to say, it's shit. I think for most people, they don't want to say, it's shit, don't bother, mate. Because they don't want to make out that they failed on getting out yeah, and yeah. they should have got back in. I'm talking yeah. early, you know, yeah, months yeah, of yeah. getting out. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. So you d- it's hard to get the ground truth when you're in. Yeah. Plus, anything seems better when you're in and you're thinking about leaving. Anything seems better. Yeah. Especially when you get told, oh, you can make, I don't know. What, well, I was, when I went out to do it, it was two, three, four hundred pound a day sterling. Yeah, Before yeah. that, it was even fucking more. I know. Now, you, you earn more as a labourer on a building yeah. site. You genuinely do. Yeah, it's terrible. And it, and then you, it, it all went from the four-man British teams to one TL, three local nationals, and then we're down again and down again. I was like, nah. But I, very rare. Don't get me wrong. There's not a lot of people still doing it, but there is still the one or two that I see floating around that are still still working it, still doing it. I'm like, sod that, man. I think because the longer you, I think the longer you stay doing it, the harder it is to get back and do a normal job. Maybe yeah. You become so just yeah. And it's you know what? It's very similar to serving. It's really routine. Yeah. Well, not the maritime stuff. Well, yeah, the maritime stuff too. But I did you know I did it onshore. I did. CPPSD work in inverted commas in, in Iraq. Yeah. But it's it's very routine. Well, like the three on, two off or whatever. The eight weeks on, four yeah. we- eight, eight weeks on, four, three, yeah. three and a half off. Yeah. But it's very routine. You're in a military environment. It's it's just, it's comfortable. Yeah. I fucking enjoyed it. Yeah. Like I did. I did enjoy it. Just enjoyed it. It was just, you know, you stood. But as time went on, it just, be, it's uh, it's such an unstable t- in, in this industry there's no security. Even in the UK, even in the UK, never mind over there. Such an unstable industry. Yeah. It's like it's like, it reminds me of being, being like a salesperson who only earns off a commission. You're constantly looking for your next sale, yeah. constantly next next commission, next customer, and that's what it's like. Yeah. You're constantly worried about is your contract going to get binned? Yeah. Because people, well, maybe when you were there, well, yeah, would have been when you were doing it as well. Contracts would get binned mm. just on mass. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of people would lose their jobs, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know. And then you've got hundreds of people looking for another job in CP, yep. and, it's, and, it, and it's all really clicky. Yep. And mates rage. Yeah, of course it is. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, I, I left that and I I, <laughs> I worked in London doing CP for two years. Uh, but it was that was all right. I worked for an American firm called Gavin DeBecker. Oh, yeah. Um, so I worked for them for two years. Quite rigorous to get in with them, actually. Um, and it was good. We had some really good clients. It was it was a good routine, but it was hard work working for Americans for an American firm. Why is that? Just because we all know that you know they're very strict down the line, almost like robots in a way. Um, especially that they you know they kind of they did think that they were borderline CIA with their like headquarters and big massive this that and the other. Um, but yeah, I. I'd done it. It was the people I worked for was good. The, our UK team was really good because it was all ex guys, um, but you know it wore on you even more. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd done that for a couple of years, but 
yeah, and then I sort of sacked that up as well. Because it's hard work, man. It's hard work. And clicky. Again, clicky. And even harder when you're working for Americans. It all kind of gets under you at one point. But, you know, yeah. But I dabbled in both. Dabbled in both. Um, they're still doing all right. So loads of lads are still doing that. Uh, I think the UK scene is probably a lot more popular than the overseas scene at the minute. Um yeah, difficult to get into there, right? It's just a lot smaller, and everyone is a lot thinks they're ninjas and can get whatever jobs they want. Yeah, because whatever. But yeah, if you land a good company like that, it's okay. Yeah, and even better if you land a good family. Yeah, but then it's the it's the bullshit that'll get you. It is, yeah, you'll get fucking it is, pushed yeah. out. I can't, I can't deal with it, man. It really grinds on me. All the pettiness of stuff, and there's backstabbing, and there's this, and there's that. And if you do anything wrong, people are always trying to look for that promotion. They'll stab you in the back. They'll grass on you and snitch on you and even if it's something you know stupid it doesn't need to be anything um and uh it just grinds you down and i'm like i can't be dealing with this anymore so yeah that was one of the reasons i was like no nah, i'm not doing it so what did you do after you've been that off got another job <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess that bit. um no i worked for a rescue company um uh, a rescue team which was all ex um ex-military guys uh they were based out in surrey so we used to do um you know we used to work alongside the police and the fire brigade um, doing stuff like that, but we got made redundant. We had a contract, so it worked kind of worked out quite nicely in the fact that me and George launched the cards pretty much the same month that I got made redundant. So it kind of worked out. I didn't see it coming, but we got our three months' notice because of COVID. Because we hadn't, we was working at Heathrow Airport, and uh, obviously no one's flying, so no one needs any sort of that assets. Um, so the company sort of got laid off for the interim, but there was like sixteen of us. Um, so, but it, you know, they, they did what they had to do. Um, but it kind of allowed me more time to focus on what we were doing and building up. So, um, yeah, it was all right. It, it, it's worked out all right in the end, to be fair, you know. And what was it like starting a business in the middle of the pandemic? You fucking madman. Well, <laughs> it was, it was really, really weird to be honest. Uh, no, so we started the first conversation that me and George ever had about our cards was we went to a coffee shop and I used to draw so uh, when, we, when I was in Afghan or, you know, when I was in the military still, I used to take a sketch pad, some pencils, and I used to draw stuff. People, portraits, you know, not very good, but they were all right. It kept me entertained. Um, so George messaged me and he was like, I got an idea, um, but I want you to draw some of the stuff for me. And I'm like, mate, I haven't picked up a pencil in six years. I'm like, you really think I'm going to be able to draw stuff? Like, as it? I was like, let's meet up. Let's go for a coffee because we haven't seen each other for a while anyway. Um, so we sat down and he's like, right, I want to make a deck of playing cards. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what sort of? And he's like, a UK military one. I'm like, okay, how are we going to do that then? And he's like, well, I've seen this guy. Um, it was an ex-USMC guy. Now, don't get me wrong. We haven't copied him, right? He came up with an idea where he'd done something fairly similar, but he used to have pinup girls like riding bombs or submarines or stuff like this. And he threw them on Kickstarter as well, but he never followed it up. Like, they were really cool cards, and they were really good. Completely different style, but kind of fundamentals were sort of the same. But that was in America. No one had done anything in England. So we was like, okay, so what, what are we thinking here? Well, let's do a UK military deck. And we're like, okay, done our research. Because every veteran brand has to do their research, so we didn't want to copy anyone, right? And we weren't, because no one else was doing it. No cards, yeah. No cards, nothing. Not even remotely similar. So we was like, okay, let's do it. So that day... We done it. The very next day, we found an illustrator, Nick, who's our illustrator. Diamond, like, is drawing like we come up with these like J 
Johnny Age 5 drawings and we send them to him and he just polishes the turd basically and makes them look amazing. Oh, so you guys do the concept of what the card should look like. Yes. And then you go, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We don't, we, we design them as much as we can and we get, um, uh, you know, we get references of stuff to go on, but we, the general idea and the layout, um, we do, me and George do, and we send it to him and then he starts the process of doing the sketch, doing the inking, doing the colouring. And then as we go forward, if something needs to be added or taken away, then we we um, we tell him, basically, until we've got the finished product. Everyone's happy with it. It's cool. Store that in the back. And then we move on to the next one. So we, it was a really quick process. I know it sounds... It took us 18 months to do our first cup deck because, you know, we were both working and we didn't have a business. So we had to chip in and take money from our own and put in a lump sum from our own cash and then trickle in and drip feed it in every month to get one or two cards done a month. That was the problem with it. Um, but yeah, we, we laid it out. Okay, how are we going to do it? Let's let's start with the top tier, Ace of Spades, SAS. Has to be, has to do that. All the other Aces, Special Forces, then we'll move down. Paras, Bootnecks, this, that, and the other. But then we tried to think of it as a business point that the bigger the, the, the military viewing, so engineers, artillery, has got a much bigger viewing than you know, other people that... You're justifying, you're justifying stuff here, aren't you? Before you say things. No. I can tell what you're doing. Am I? Go on. I'm going, yeah, go on. Go on. <laughs> because, let me hazard a guess. Go on. Well, there's only 52 cards. You can't put every single unit on a 52 card deck. No, no, no. And people have tried to pull me this before. They're like, oh, I thought you was going to do every card as like a unit. But I, I always say, no, we don't do that purely because two reasons. One, we couldn't have, we'd have to multiply those double pictures for each because it's like there's not enough. There isn't enough. It depends how deep you want to go. Do I want chefs in there or VMs or like how far do you go with it? Two, if we did do that or we even did manage to find 52 different regiments to put in every single card, we've just thrown away potentially four decks of cards because we've only done the face cards, which is 16, right? Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, that's right. Face cards, yeah. Yeah, so we've only done the face cards. as So the picture cards are the pictures, right? So 16 there. But then if we've done all 52, then we've thrown away the idea of trying to do extra decks. Does that kind of make sense or not? Yeah. So that's why. So we've done limited it to 16. But here's... So we wanted the bigger the bigger regiments in there to gain more eyes because it's a business. That's what we want. We wanted, to try and hit, yeah. we wanted to try and hit as many people as we could. With the hope that in the future, as we start growing, um, we can then do uh, regiment-specific decks. So we could do a bootnet deck, para-reg deck, with all the SQs, snipers, mortars, this, that, and the other. And it sort of spider webs out. This is the whole, I the whole idea. So we've done the military deck, launched it, went down really well. Everyone loved it, which was more to our surprise. We didn't realize that we was going to do that well with it. So it was like, okay, emergency services. How do we do the emergency services? Okay. Counterterrorism police, MI5, all the Gucci units, this, that, and ever. Boom, done. Make that. So we've done this deck that we just launched three weeks ago in six months as opposed to 18 months because we had the ball rolling. We could, we knew what we didn't want it to do. Didn't have any more problems. We'd iron out all the it's creases. the blue light deck. The blue light deck, yeah. So we launched that, got everything done. And again, you know, it's been received very, very well. No one's moaned about it. Everyone seems pretty happy with it. Um, we've still got a week left on the pre-sale, but we've already done more numbers on decks sold than we did the first time round, which is really cool, um, which lets us go on to deck three, deck four, 
trading cards and all the other shit that we got planned. Trading cards? Yeah. Go on. Um, well, we're going to make almost like a military version of Pokemon cards because I think it's a really great idea. <laughs> um, and it's it hasn't been done. So trading cards, tops trading cards, big massive company, they brought out a set of Desert Warfare trading cards in 1992, which used to have pictures of tanks, aircrafts, major generals from the US military, and God's honest truth, when they sold, they sold out of every kiosk in New York or wherever it was in an hour, every single one, in 1992. Nothing has ever been, and you can still buy them on eBay, people still collect them, people got the whole thing, they're trying to sell a whole set on eBay for hundreds and hundreds of pounds, but nothing has ever been made since. No military-style trading card, modern day, that's got modern day units or anything like that has ever been made since then. And me and George looked at each other, we were like, why have we not made these? Why have we not tried to make these? So we did. Um, so we pulled Nick away from doing whatever he was doing. We was like, make this. And then we was obviously really lucky to get Christian Craighead involved as well to be our number one card, which is amazing because we was like, we wanted to work with him, um, but we never knew that we could get to him. Because he's a big fish. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's on his way to wherever he's going. But we were really lucky that one of the guys in the Met Police that we'd met that helped us do the cards knew him. Uh, and, you know, the chance that we would have to talk to him, not even just to ask him if we can use him or him to be involved, um, we, it was a mile, million miles away. We never thought it was going to happen. Um, but it did. And Well, he's been very clever. I think in what he's doing yeah. is that he he knows I think he knows he's on that trajectory. Yeah. But he's been very, very clever in that he's making himself difficult to get to. So which you think is counterintuitive when arguably probably the path that he w may want to take, I don't know, it depends on what you know, it depends on what he wants to do. But it would be one to capitalize on that he's a fucking legend. Like Massive he's a fucking legend. Yeah. If he wants to you know, capitalise on that and never do a day's hard work again in his life. Yeah. He can do that. Yeah. Because of, you know, you know the score. Um, uh, but so, but what he's doing is, which is sort of counterintuitive to that, he's making di him difficult to get to mm -hmm. so that I think when he does get a referral or someone says, you need to speak to, these guys want to speak to you, mm -hmm. it comes from people he trusts because his circle of people yeah. who are willing to not exploit him, or the circle of people is very small, so it's less that can exploit him. Yeah, and I think that's I think I think that's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, me and me and George spoke to him on the phone. He's such a sound guy, and he was he was excited for it because he used to collect football stickers back in the day when he oh, was a no, kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as soon as you know, we mentioned that this is the idea, this is what we want to do. We'd love to have your support because we didn't want to do anything. We don't want to do anything without someone's, um, you know. Someone saying, yes, that's okay, because it's going to bite us in the ass. We could have. We could have just said no and done it, but that's that's not the way. We can't do that. You can't get away with doing that, and we wouldn't want to do that. Um, so we we bit the bullet, and we spoke to him on the phone, me and George, and we said what our plans were, um, and uh, he's like, yeah, fully on board. Um, I love it, because he got excited about the fact that he used to collect the stickers and the cards as well when he was a kid, and um, you know, we're going to make him shiny, and this and that and the other, and he loved it. Yeah. And I'm excited. I can't wait to see him or get him done. But it's going to be a long process. It's not going to be a short one. So we need to, we need to sort of work on them and do them. But we're still having conversations with big companies about partnerships. Um, 
you know, it died off a bit, but it's kind of picked up a little bit more and it's reignited the fire. So we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. But we'll, we'll be able to do it on our own. It would just make our lives easier. Um, and I think it'd be beneficial for a big company because I think, I think it's a good idea. I think it's great. I love it. Well, I think it's, I think it's having an unexpected resurgence, this whole cards thing, especially yeah. the trading cards, in, an, in, a, in a market where they probably thought it wasn't going to be very receptive, receptive in the UK, yeah. certainly, certainly in America. So it's, it's probably still a bit of an unknown quantity and they're still feeling it out. Yeah. I want to see how you guys are doing, you know, out of the growth. Like, yeah. what, are you, do you get much interest from America? Yeah, loads. Yeah, uh, which is why the, the deck number three, we've already, I can tell you about it because we've already sort of done with. Deck number three is going to be the Black Ops edition. So it's special forces units from around the world. So we've got Navy SEALs. We've got Delta Force. We've got another Hereford and Paul card in there. Aussie Commandos. Every, everyone, as many as we can fit in there, um, we're going to do it. And we hope that we could get to the point where when we sell that, we can have outside distributors in different countries because we know how much it costs for shipping like international. It's a lot of money sometimes, even just for one deck of cards. So it gives us extra logistical sort of um, avenues to go down to to try and get this and that and the other. Uh, and we've already got deck number four, good to go. We haven't released that one, so I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's going to be really cool. Um, but in between the decks, we work on the trading cards. And then as soon as we kind of hope to gain that little bit more of an international, you know, people talk about us in different countries then we can release the trading cards. The trading cards are going to be global. Um, like you, everyone, you know, like literally every, I think we've got 36 countries in the trading cards that we're including. But we've also turned it into a game as well, which I didn't, I wasn't planning on doing it, but one of George's friends is like a Yu-Gi-Oh Pokemon nut. And he just knows how it works, knows how to play the game. And he's like, you need to incorporate this into a, a strategic military board game as well using the trading cards because people can collect them but what if also people can play with them so we could we've got like bonus cards environment cards of where oh you're oh my god mate i know someone who's gonna be creaming his pants right now listening to you saying this yeah mike valance rugby heroes he is a board game that honestly he's introduced me to some amazing games oh really so the only reason i know about what you're talking that kind of stuff you're talking about with the cards and strategic games about two reasons one him and two is a guy called Stu hale he introduced you to him ex Ex Pyrage Sniper, actually. Okay. And he runs Pegasus Hobbies and Games. Oh, no in way. In Monmouth, yeah. Oh, um, wow. So it's like a, a game shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. So, Mike, Mike Valance could be all yeah. over this, man. Um, You'd be like, when's that Kickstarter? Yeah. When's the Kickstarter? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We've got, our, we've got our battle board ready, which is, um, okay. which is, uh, is actually uh, Sangin. Um, so, it's the, the 611. Runs down the middle. You've got the green zone one side and then the desert the other side. Mate, Mike has just spontaneously combusted listening to this. I'm telling you. It's gone boom. His <laughs> um, head's exploded. But it's going to be a long process. There's a lot. There's 150. There's more than that. There's probably about 160, 65 cards that we need to do. Um, we've only done 12 at the minute. So there's a long road ahead. Uh, but I hope we can just chip away, get a few done, release a deck of cards, get a little bit more attention. Um, like we're, we're moving in the right direction as a brand. Like we're new, we're we're small fish in this big ocean of the the veteran-owned brands. Um, you know, we we had to. Do you do think our so? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you are. No, I don't think you are, because no one else is doing it, mate. Yeah, it's I know. Different. When yeah. It's like you you you've, you've done it. You you know you you've proven it. You're the only person. You're the only people doing doing it in this space. So you're not a small fish. You're the only person in the pool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, but as far as everyone else, like everyone's got, you know, 
everyone's doing their own thing. They've got big followings. They've got this, then they go in. And all you hear or see is, you know, like the Contact Coffee, Sunita's Guild, this, that, they're all the big, the big players in the HR4K, all the big players in the, um, in the veteran-owned, you know, business. So from us, we're still small fish compared to those because they've been going years, four years, three years. We've, we're only nine months in. So we're still getting there. We're doing all right. We're doing well. Um, and I'm really excited to see where we do go. Uh, but, it w you know, it would be nice to eventually get on their level. That's that's what we aspire to. Like when we first started this and we started the Instagram page, we'd follow all of them to see what everyone's doing. Their level in terms of what? What are you talking about? Are you talking about, are you talking about money? Are you talking about no. following? Are you talking about impact? What are you talking impact about? Impact as well, yeah. Impact. Like you see um, so many people share stories of what they're doing. They share the products. They share what they're doing. Um, you know, they're so engaging because they're able to get out and they do loads of stuff with loads of other people and stuff like that. And that's kind of what we want. I know, obviously, um, Gaz has the whole community side of things and this, that, and the other, which is really cool. I, I very much doubt that we would ever get to that point, but we, we have, you know, we aspire to have some something like that with the trading cards. That's where our community is going to come from because we can have people trading. We can have people talking about what they've got just because there's so many groups out there that talk about this kind of stuff. And if we can even have a remote bit of that, then we'll be really happy. But we do, we, we aspire to be as big as those guys because everyone knows them, you know, everyone knows who they are. They've all got a good reputation. Um, so we just, we just hope that we can move ourselves and build up to be on their level. Yeah, I think you'd be surprised, mate, at just how big a reach you're having. Yeah, I'm telling you, I don't know. But, um, Maybe Gaz I'm blind is to running, it. Gaz is different. Gaz is running a cult. Now he would, <laughs> he would not agree with me. He would not agree with me. Gaz is a cult leader. Yeah. He probably doesn't want to be. But he is running a cult. So, but I mean, that kind of, you know, yeah, communities I think aspire to have behind you is for carries brands, right? But it yeah. it'll come organically. It'll come yeah. organically. Yeah. And um, what's good with you as well? You've got, you, you've got immediately got that international appeal yeah. immediately it's not wholly british military at the moment don't think it is especially if you get the interest from the, from the states no you know? no we get we we sell decks everywhere australia america um which is really cool but we've i like to think now we've hit the uk we've done the military we've done the emergency services so i don't think anyone would be willing to come in and try and copycat that because they'd have a hard time trying to do something that's different if that kind of makes sense We've already hit hit the UK, done covered all basis. That what you could do. I don't see what you would do um, if you were going to try and do something that's different to us in a card sense. Mm. Um, so that's why we're moving away and starting to do the international stuff. Almost like we've slowly taken over the UK and we've done that. We're happy with that. There's room for extras there. Like I said, the more we grow, the more we can come back to the UK and then start doing regiment-specific decks with like SQs in there and making core illustrations of, you know, snipers and mortars and anti-tanks and this, that, and the other, and then sort of venturing out. Um, and even for the emergency services, doing a police-only deck, paramedics, fire brigade. Yeah. You know, it's, as long as the demand's there, because, you know, it's a lot of time and effort that goes into it to make them. Do you incorporate, are there any uh, personal stories incorporated to any of the illustrations on your cards? Yes. One, one that stands out mega in my mind is on the first deck is the, um, the SRR picture. 
which um, is the the undercover race. Oh, I you wish I You haven't got a deck. I gave, <laughs> deck. I gave it to Mick Taylor, didn't I? I didn't even bring one with me because I knew you had one. I gave, him, I gave him the deck yeah. to have a look at. So you've seen these guys. Look at him. I can just see the, the glee on his face. Have the pack, mate. I'll get another pack. Have yeah. the pack. Uh, so I, you should have told me I would have bought another oh, one with you. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the, the SRR one is, um, is, is really cool because without giving too much away or going into any... Um, one of one of the lads that mm. I served with on Herrick Seven, so the very first tour, um, I won't name any names, but he's a really cool guy. Anyway, when we come back in 2008, he just disappeared for like six years. Disappeared, went off the face of the earth. No one saw him. And then I saw him uh, seven or eight years later in Tesco's, round my way, <laughs> in his Sparky outfit. So I know he used to be a Sparky, and I saw him in his Sparky outfit. And I was like, where the hell did you go? He's like, oh, I went SRR. I'm like, oh, shit. And he and we was talking about it and this that, and the other and he had a couple of pictures on his phone that he had saved and he was he looked the part right he looked the part he had fully embedded into the Afghan lifestyle and he looked the part and some of the you know very very little story that he told me was the inspiration behind <coughs> that card where you've got the guy full dish dash you know this that, and the other full shebang with an M4 underneath and this that, and the other operating around these small little villages so that was the inspiration but that is about as close to a real life person that we've probably got on there to be honest like we've had help to put um a lot of the cards together whether they're from friends in different organizations that i rung up and said would you mind having a look at this we didn't want to make it so real that it's given anything away kit wise or anything like that but enough for people to look at them and go ah you know, that's not made up. That's, that, that's, you know, that could actually happen or this, that, any other, or the drills or the positions of, you know, there or thereabouts. And it's the same with the police one. We had a lot of help from the guys in the Met. Um, you know, they, they showed us stuff and this, that, and the other and allowed us to sort of manoeuvre them into positions and allowed us to get them right so we could, um, we could make the picture as best as we could because we didn't want to just cuff everything because then it, you know, people wouldn't have any relevance to it, whereas people see it. And they can they can relate to it and be like, yep, that's real, or yep, that's how we do that, and that's how we do that, and it makes it just that little bit better, which I think we've achieved, and we're going to do it in the next deck as well because we've got we've got some people helping us in that deck as well, which I'm really excited about. Oh, good. Have you um, what what uh, lunacy requests have you had for decks? I bet you've had some mental requests for decks. Yeah, some. Some bloke wanted us to make a. I don't. Go on. Like a Northern Ireland style. Um, I think you're going to talk about the combat cigars request, then. Eh? No. <laughs> How is that, you're by the way? Sling me under the vest. You need to no, talk, we'll talk about, about it. Okay. okay go on. Um, so, no, no, no. Um, we've had guys ask um, for chef cards that someone wants to be. Are you going to put a chef in the? Yeah, I know. That's exactly what I kind of like. They wanted one of the cards to be like a, a combat chef, oh, like right, a chef right, on ops. Right, yeah. Um, and I was like, no, sorry, we haven't got any space this time around. Um, and uh, someone wanted like a deck of Northern Ireland, um, but a certain very specific regiment that went out there. I couldn't, it was a long, long message from someone who was really, really keen <laughs> and started naming names and regiments and everything like that down to the T. And it kind of went over my head. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I was like, okay, maybe not this time. Sent me loads of pictures of him in Northern Ireland and stuff. I'm like, okay. I appreciate it, but it's just not our type at the minute. Um, but other than that, it's 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 not been too bad. We get the general, you know, this deck and that deck, which we've already a lot of people that come to us with ideas we've already thought about, which is good. That means we're thinking about something the right way of what the customer wants. Um, but it's just a matter of time, money, 
an effort to just make sure that we can justify doing it. Um, you need a bigger team. No, I mean, yeah, we we look in we. Nick, our illustrator, he's very proud of what he does. And right, he should be, because his artwork is insane. And I'm like, Nick, can you, do you know anyone that can maybe help you out? And he's like, nope. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm like, okay, all right. I don't want to piss you off or anything. Because he works for big companies in like LA and London. He does all the illustrations for big, big firms and sort of works on us in the meantime. Um, and I was like, surely you can just get someone to sort of mimic your style. He's like, nope, don't know anyone. Right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I see what it's okay. I see where this is going. All right, I won't answer again. It's you good can do though. It. He's proud of what he's doing. It's yeah, good. no, he's cool. cool he's yeah. cool. Uh, he loves it as well because it's different to him. He does like big brandings and logos and this, that, and the other. So, getting him to, you know, draw three counterterrorism guys doing a raid on a London flat on a suicide bomber is right up his alley because he's never done that before. So, um, yeah, he loves he loves what we come out with, and he he's slowly putting his input in as well. Like he's a full blown civvy, no military experience, nothing. So when we first started off, he was drawing like, you know, sometimes we'd have to get references of weapons and stuff like that. But maybe some of the weapons had BFAs on because they were the clearest picture to have. But he draw a BFA on, on uh, like two Hereford guys going into a. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, no, no, take the BFA off. But he's slowly learning now what needs to go in and how we put the picture together which is brilliant for us because it's less work for us. We say this is what we want and then sometimes he just does it. He just does it. And we sit back and watch him draw and then we're like, yep, good to go. Tick it off. Let's move on to the next one. So, yeah, it's good. It's fun. Have you thought about, has anyone approached you about product placement into any of the cards? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know. We'll try and work on it. Like I did, I think um, I did speak to Luke and Nick uh, from Contact Coffee. Like I'd try and get something in there because, you know, we get on with those guys. I think they're so sound. And we was like, maybe we could stick like a, a, a Contact Coffee mug in there or something in there. But um, yeah, no, we've spoken to a few lads and we, I'd do it 100%. I'll do it in a heartbeat. I wouldn't charge anything either. I'd just do it for the crack because I think it'd be funny. Because you're too nice. I'm too nice. <laughs> That's the problem because I'm too nice. Do you want to be in my car? Yeah, do it. Yeah, just give me it. I'll put it in there. Don't worry about it. I don't want money. <laughs> yeah. But it's all fun and games. No, it's good, mate. It's mega. I, I, I mean, it's a great, it's like, it's a great brand. It's just nice. It's, um, it's nice when an, un, something unexpected comes up and, and, and is not, is, 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 is veteran owned. Yeah. But it's not doing something other people have done. Yeah. And that was a big important thing for us. We've done a lot of research because I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be that guy if someone had already done it that we tried to, impersonate or knock them off in any way uh but i feel it's so far out the box that n no one would do it really because when he came to me i was like what playing cards but then i thought about it and i was fully invested i was like the number one invested guy into it i was like yes let's do it let's do it let's do it but then it's so funny now that we're at that point where we've got two decks out and this and even people ask what do you do for a living I say, oh, I own a playing card company. Like, what? I'm like, I know. That's what everyone says. <laughs> <laughs> what, like, and everyone does this. What, like, playing cards? I'm like, yeah, yeah playing yeah, cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, how? What, do you print them? I'm like, no, we just make them. They're like, well, what kind? I'm like, emergency services, military. Um, and they're like, oh. But they want to see them straight on Instagram. What's this? Oh, they're amazing. Follow. Done. Perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. It's, uh, but it's, yeah, I love the uniqueness of it, which makes me excited moving forward. So, um, are you surprised at where you're at after having yeah, left? Yeah, and um, and yeah, like successful? a lot, of, yeah, a lot of guys, like I know, a lot of guys have a hard time, don't they, when they leave the military? They struggle, 
struggle to find themselves, struggle to fit in. Um, I suppose I've been really lucky that I've never felt like that. I've kind of just, because again, I'm, I'm too laid back for my own good. I don't let things try and stress me out too much, no matter how bad it gets. Um, so I left and I walked into the private security um, and I kind of just followed it in. I didn't try and push it in any direction that it was going to stop me. I just, I just went with it. And that's exactly what I've been doing. I've just go with things and it seems to just help, you know. Uh, I think a lot of guys get stressed about stuff and it can really play on you and, and sort of mess the mind up a bit. And um, I don't think it needs to happen. I think, um, you know, I just I just sit there and chill out. The condor moment, you know, things do get a little bit stressed. I just sit back, have a tab, good to go again. Um, just roll with it, you know. And it's worked out for me. It's worked out fine. Here we are. I'm not saying I'm a complete baller and, you know, this or any other, but we're doing all right. We've got, we're in a good spot, which is better than a lot of people over the last 18 months. Um, like you said, we, 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 we launched it in and around the pandemic, uh, but it's, it was a unique thing where people could still buy it and they could play with them at home, which is what a lot of people did. Um, so it never really impacted us that much. Um, but I, you know, I get it. A lot of people have had a hard time. We, it's, we've had it. We've had hard times. But again, just take a chill pill, focus on the bigger picture, and we're good to go. No, no need to get stressed over it. It's all good. Mega. And on that note, mate, we're gonna have to knock on the head. Cool. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jen. You know I love. Mate, you know I love. I, I bought into the uh, the the crowdfunder. Yes. Uh, that first pack. Yeah. Pack through. I was like, yes. Yeah. And then fucking Mick Taylor took them last week. Don't worry. I'll sort you on. Um, no, no, I'll get another pack, mate. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's just mega. It's mega prime, mate. It's good to see. It's good to see people in general being fucking successful with stuff, especially unexpectedly. It's even better when it's, they're ex-military. Thank you. you know? um, Appreciate it. And you're not a knob. Which is also like well, well yeah. No, well, I try, I try my very best not to be a knob. I don't want to tarnish everyone's business in an hour and a half. So, no, it's all good. Thank you. Um, good luck with the event coming up soon. Yes. And uh, good luck with anything, mate. Been Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Oh, hang on. Now, what the fuck am I talking about? What's the website? Oh, www.quickdrawcardco.com. Um, our blue light edition decks are on pre-sale until... This weekend, the 31st, um, they go off. So if you want your first edition deck, head over. Do you get them cheaper? Yes, you do. Yeah, you do get them cheaper. Yeah, we're doing a, a little bit money knocked off, especially the T-shirts and the prints as well. But um, this weekend, to get the first edition decks, they won't be printed again, so with a ribbon on top. Um, uh, so there you go. If, you've got, if anyone's got a friend in Blue Light Services, maybe you're not in the Blue Light Services, you've got a friend in it, get them a gift. There you go. There you go. But you've got to get it before the weekend. Okay. There you go. Uh, oh, shit, it's got that on Sunday. Does it? Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, will it still be on sale on Sunday? They will. Uh, yeah. All right. We'll extend it till Sunday night. <laughs> Sweet. You're too nice. Yeah, Sunday, yeah. There you go. Too nice. There you go. I'll just give you an extra day. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Sweet. Funny. Right. Um, that's it. Perfect. Let's do it again. All good. That's it. Thank you for listening to the H Hour Podcast. You can become a patron of the H-Hour podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts, a cracking community of people who are in the, that core group of supporters and fans of the podcast, which are known as the patrons. And you should, uh, you should, yeah, check it out. You get access to all the episodes before anyone else. You also get access to exclusive interviews that no one else will ever hear, only patrons. And that's interviews with the guests and you get freebies every month, giveaways every month.
yeah do it patreon.com forward slash hk podcasts another shout to the sponsors of the podcast today the development society a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday they can help you out they can help you improve they can help you get to where you want to be in life you just got to get in touch with them you just got to stay in touch with them you got to get on board with the initiatives they're running go to their website and join their infamous daily waves newsletter and join their slack community as well i think most people are on slack these days join the slack community as well go to the development society.co.uk to find out everything about how devsoc can help you also sponsoring the podcast today with the Aardvark Group. They provide advanced systems for the protection and management of territories, borders, assets, and people for a global customer base. They work in post-conflict zones. Their business is trying to make the world a safer place and trying to reduce risk to people, assets, property through the identification and destruction of landmines and remnants of war and standoff explosive detection technologies. They've also got a, an online shop. Uh, their website's aardvark.group. Go there, go to, the, go to the shop. Use the discount code H-H-O-U-R when you check out and you'll get, you'll get a discount on whatever you purchase. If you work in post-conflict zones in developing countries, then uh, there's stuff on their shop, an aardvark shop, that you can definitely use and you definitely find useful. So why not go and get something and get a discount while you're at it? H-H-O-U-R. Finally, sponsoring the podcast today were Rugby for Heroes a not-for-profit organisation raising money for military charities. They've raised in excess of £120,000 now. Oh, it's, a, it's approximately £120,000. I'm going to get a word right there. I'm pretty sure it's just over. They just recently held their, uh, their latest event. They raised £5,000 at one event just after lockdown lifted. It was incredible. And they help the military community. They help people in the times of need. They help raise money for military charities through organising events, fundraising events. You should go to the fundraising events if you can. Go to rugbyforheroes.org to keep an eye on what's happening and follow them on social media at rugby number four heroes, rugby for heroes on social media. That's it. Thank you for the sponsors. Thank you for listening. If you get a chance, leave me a review on uh, whatever podcast app you're doing. Maybe it's, maybe it's Apple Podcasts, maybe it's something else. And they don't all allow reviews to be left. But if you're one that allows reviews, please do leave a review. And if you fancy watching the podcast instead of listening, they're on YouTube. So, um, you get to look at the, the whites of the eyes of the guest. Not me, though. Don't do it to me. It'd be weird. Anyway, until next time. Out. <laughs>